Might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabres podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my wonderful co-host. To start off, we have the only man who is saltier than Senator Ziono. It's... <laughs> that must be true. It just... Yeah. It just... I don't... I wouldn't call it salt, but we'll get there. I mean, call it what you will. It is Senator Ziono-like. Call it what you want. Call it what you want. Yeah, that... <laughs> Uh, and also, guys, rounding out our wonderful fleet tonight, we have the latest adoptee of the Nodi tribe. It's <laughs> it's Devor. All right, guys. So uh, we did it. We made it. Final two episodes of Ahsoka, and now we're going to talk about them. Uh, mm, very good times. Very excited about this. Um, if you've listened to the other episodes, a little bit apprehensive about what Drew's going to. Uh, Oh come now! Don't start that way. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly thinking about seven and eight. I, I can see it going multiple ways for you. To be totally honest, mm, so I, I'm actually quite interested to see uh, what you're going to have to say tonight. So we're going to get into that in, in a minute. But before we do that, uh, I just wanted to give a special shout out to all of our patrons and our new listeners. We have had a lot of new people come on board since we started Ahsoka, and uh, we're glad you decided to to spend some time with us talking about this great series and this great thing that we all love in Star Wars. So if you are new and you don't know, or if you just forgot uh, and you've been here a while, we are far more than a podcast. We are a, also a nonprofit that works to put Star Wars books into classrooms across the country, and so if you're able to support us over on our Patreon, 100% of those donations go specifically to buying and shipping books to getting them into the hands of students. So if you can help us out, yes. that would be awesome. If you know a teacher or you know of a teacher or you are a teacher, uh, whether Star Wars fan or not, please go over to our website, clashingsabers.net, and nominate a teacher. Um, I think I can speak for all three of us in saying that Star Wars books has had a very big influence on our lives and our fandoms. And if you look at Ahsoka, it is full of legends, uh, nuggets, and connections to other stories. So Dave Filoni has clearly been influenced by these stories. So you never know the kind of impact you're going to make by just sharing a book. So uh, please, if you're able, go over and do that. Uh, with that taken care of, guys... We've got a lot of stuff to talk about in this episode. Uh, we are going to be saving our best and butts for a little later on, so we're going to specifically stick with episodes uh, seven and eight here, which are uh, Dreams and Madness being the seventh episode and The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord being the eighth <laughs> episode. <laughs> oh, man. Great. It started already. <laughs> I just shiver in my body. Seriously, not, none, none of us on this epi on this podcast chose the names of the episodes, okay? Those were decisions made by other people, and we just get to reap the benefits. That's all. Yeah. I. So, <laughs> if, if somehow you didn't Let's make the connection. Let's begin. <laughs> um, it's very... 
<laughs> Chronicles of Narnia, like. Dave yeah, a little bit. Not, Dave I did not hold back. It. He really I was just very surprised. I was like, really that on the nose, huh? It was. It's kind of like uh, when when you give kids like an example of something, and you're like, do it like this, and then they're like, okay, yes. and they just take the sentence <laughs> but replace that. the words. <laughs> yes, it's like. Oh my God, we're like working on coordinating conjunctions and I did a sentence and I'm like, okay, now you write one with a, a coordinating conjunction and they changed like but to and or something. <laughs> it's like, technically it's a new sentence. You have yeah. me on a technicality. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. So guys, before we before we get into this though, we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because uh, as we've been doing this series, we have been rating these episodes beforehand um, and then having our discussion and uh, re-rating them afterwards, which is something that Lindsay and I uh, initiated over on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. So it's been a lot of fun to kind of see uh, whether we're able to influence each other um, and how these conversations kind of affect uh, our understanding of the story and our appreciation or lack thereof uh, for, for these shows and these episodes. So... Drew, uh, I'm going to throw it to you first so we can start low and end high. So <laughs> go ahead and hit us with your ratings. You can do them either like we've been doing for the, the whole series, either together or uh, separately. So let the people know what you're bringing to the table. Yes, I will. I have individual scores for both episode seven and episode eight. Um, they are the same. Okay. And I'll tell you, the my, one, my rating for episode seven is a lot more fluffy right now meaning it could go i could be swayed in any direction to either raise it lower it or keep it the same um because i'm not sure how i feel about it as a whole but right now both episodes seven and eight get a solid two and a half from me i mean that that is one of the directions i saw it going is i saw you really not liking it it's but not also, the lowest score I've given an episode. <laughs> and you've made it very clear that the, the Ahsoka just hasn't been the show for you. And so, Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I am not the target audience for it, and that's fine. I don't have to be. Um, I've gotten a number of other things uh, recently that have been completely right up my alley. One, I'm not sure if it's released or yet. Not, or yet. I'll have to look at the date for the when our embargo date is up. On that last one. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this one, uh, I, I know that there are people who enjoy this a whole lot more than me, as the internet has uh, kindly let me know. <laughs> uh, and that's totally fine. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. So uh, both seven and eight get a solid two and a half independently. Okay. All right. Devor, what about you? All right. I have separate and different scores for my two episodes. So for episode seven... I have given it a three. Okay. Cool. And okay. for okay. episode eight, I have a three and a half. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, surprising absolutely nobody. I'm going to have the highest scores on here. Here come the fives. <laughs> uh, no, actually, so Dreams and Madness, I gave a, a four out of five. If I if we were recording this, we're recording this on uh, on, on Thursday the 5th. If I was we were recording this on Monday... Uh, I would have given it a, a three or a three and a half out of five because I had just watched it the one time and my initial reaction was, mm, it, 
it, mm. it was probably my least favorite of the the series so far. Um, but rewatching it and just seeing how the the story structure was put together and uh, what they were setting up and just being able to um, you know, take the time to pause and notice different lines and things like that, it, it boosted it up for me. Um, the the Jedi, the Witch, and the Warlord. What I, I almost said wardrobe. I can't <laughs> yeah, do I it. I can't do it. I guys. Know. It's so it, it's it's both too convenient to be cute and too cute to be convenient. It's <laughs> yeah, just, it's, it's not great. Um, nope. It's a four and a half out of five. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm that, legit that, surprised. That that, that that that's a low ball for Brandon right there. <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing. I'd have lost like, money on that bet. Dang. The the bar is uh is the the world it's between high. worlds episode. <laughs> it, it, yeah, and and it's not that, but as we'll get into it, that episode did more. It did everything I wanted it to do for me. And it did so much that I didn't expect. And so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit uh, later. But we're going to look more at the, the episodes individually. And uh, we're going to start with episode seven. And, and I want to just start in that first scene with the, the New Republic Tribunal and just reiterate that Senator Giono still sucks. <laughs> still not a fan. He's not, he's not a great guy. No, he's really well. Not. Although, in fairness, he has legitimate concerns. Like a general using her position for her own personal vendettas is a scary, scary thing. And I get that perspective. Uh, but I'm also not wild about senators holding court yeah. over military yeah. actions. I'm like, whoa, hang on a minute. This is not okay. So I, there's definitely some wonkiness to the New Republic that borders fascism a little too close for my taste. I don't know about you guys. Well, to me, it's kind of it's kind of the same thing that happened with Luke and the Jedi Order, where Luke tried to make the Jedi Order what it was before instead of building something new. And I think the New Republic was trying to do that too. Like yeah. I think they were rebuilding mm-hmm. what they saw as the Republic. And part of that was, you know, the integration of the military with the Clone Wars, and it became so interwoven together that it was almost impossible to separate it. And so I think they're they're working from that different yeah. base, which is, is part of the reason I think it's good that we have, like, the, the Rays and Fins and Poes to start the next generation because they weren't there for the Republic of old. And so they've got... They don't have an attachment to that, and they can look at it more uh, clearly. How I was, uh, I'm not quite sure how I land on 3PO being the uh, what I like, what, what I came to refer to as the 3PO ex machina, um, of getting Hera out of her situation. I don't, it's both, it, it's like so many of these other things, it's like it's nice, but I'm not sure it makes sense. You could almost say it's too cute to be convenient and too convenient to be cute. <laughs> That's yes. kind of my tagline for this whole series. In fact, the, <laughs> the headline for my notes are, it's just called the Narnia of it all. <laughs> uh, Devor, where did you land on 3PO? It was, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was better than the, it was better than the, you know, staring down the barrel of like deep fake Leia. So, like, that, you know, that's to the extent, what I was afraid of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To you know, to the extent that maybe we dodged a bullet there, like maybe this was the best way to do it. I think you do have. I mean, you have 
not a relationship, but you know that Hera and uh, 3PO have had interactions before. So it's not like it's coming completely out of left field, but it's not in center field either. Like it is a little right. out of there. And I think it my my bigger issue with it is it almost felt like they were hitting you over the head with it. Like there's that line where he goes, I don't need to show my identification. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Nope. Nope, Very Obi-Wan. Yeah, it was like, that's too far. Like, that crossed the line <laughs> of, all right, that was a... A lot of times, Filoni loves his references. And I... Oh, yeah. I enjoy most of the references. Uh, but with this one was just... It, it was not good. and it, You didn't it really, care for it that much, huh? I, I really, really didn't. But Interesting. I liked the information that we got out of 3PO. Like, I like learning that Leia is the leader of the Defense Council, you know, uh, seeing that she's still kind of wheeling and dealing and being a rebel even through, you know, the, mm-hmm. the government. Um, it, it reminded me a lot of Bloodline of where she's kind of like, well, I'm going to do what's right and then we can deal with the consequences later, uh, which is, you know, just very Leia. And so I, I appreciated that. But other than that... Um, it was a neat way to get in the line about um, a droid such as like we don't accept information from you know, oh, simple yeah. things yeah. like droids and choppers like excuse me I am offended good sir I mean anything that gets a rise out of chopper is going to be instantly better so I like that one Carson Tava just kind of really surprised I really yeah. thought this was the sequence that was going to have Zeb in it though like right yeah he's not in the he's not in the show at all he's the only character from the actual rebels family who doesn't make an appearance like Kanan gets name dropped two, three, four times, but Zeb who we've seen on screen (laughs) in live action with Carson Tiva and he's nowhere to be found. I don't understand. It goes to my theory of we're getting a season two at the very least. So I think, there might have been a, all right, let's drop this little nugget here, see how it works on the screen, see what the fan reaction is. And if it everything checks, you know, all the boxes, then we move forward with having Zeb in season two. Yeah, I imagine it, when we get to something like the, the major project, the film culmination of all of this is probably where it would, it would come up because I feel... I think we talked about it before, but I feel like we're dealing with the ruins of the Rangers of the New Republic series falling apart. Yes. Yeah, um, that's what that sequence just screamed to me is like this belongs in a different show, um, and having Admiral Akbar in there and not say a single word is offensive. Um, excuse me, you don't put Admiral Akbar in the corner like that. Nobody puts Akbar in the corner. Nobody puts Akbar in the corner. And I have had. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember a Taylor Swift song that covers like that. That uh, that's new to me. Yeah. We only speak in uh, Taylor Swift and Eminem quotes for some reason on this podcast. For some reason. <laughs> uncultured swine. So, okay. The, the, the 3PO episode, or episode, it feels like a whole separate episode. It feels like it should be in a separate episode. It but, is strange how much like the cold opens of these shows are so disconnected from what else is going on around them. It's very interesting. 
Yeah, you know, we talked about, you know, we've talked on in the group chat about how like this show in particular doesn't really lend itself to that kind of episodic cutting. No. And like this scene really stood out in that respect that it like mm-hmm. it, it cuz you have the scene and then we just go back to Peridia and like it, it you know, we never circle back to that. So yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's it's not a show that like the storytelling structure really lends itself to like really neat like 40 45 minute cuts no it doesn't yeah there's something that's different about this one the way it's crafted that because even if like if this were something on like network television right you would expect kind of the thread or the moral that you learn in the cold open to be something that's applied later on in the show but i don't really see that here it's it's just kind of I i was accused of being flippant when i said that dave filoni is all about the vibes in his show but He's really just about the vibes. We'll get to that later. But yeah, it's kind of like, I, I just, why did it have to go there? And why couldn't it have been a different part of the episode? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I think there was the intention of that line from Mon Mothma about how real is the threat to Thrawn. And then, you know, we go to Thrawn. But yeah, I would have liked it to be... Not necessarily more blatant, but I really like the cut in Last Jedi where it's like uh, talking about Kylo Ren and then it cuts right to him. I forget. Oh, the Where's Han? Where's Han? So good. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. He's so good. I was was reading a couple reviews of these episodes online and uh, the number one criticism I got is that if you didn't watch Clone Wars and Rebels, none of it made sense why Thrawn was such a threat. Like it was yeah. not clear that made him so such a scary persona to our heroes uh, about why they were hell bent on making sure he did not make it back to the galaxy, and that sequence is is the time to do it because she literally asks the question, and I don't remember Hera's exact response, but she doesn't give a clear cut. This could be the end of the galaxy kind yeah. of yeah, warning. She, yeah, she says something like, we have to expect the worst but hope for the best. She says something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's like, no you don't. You're a general. You say, we're going to die. <laughs> Get yeah. in the game, Hera. Well, I think even better than that, if you have uh, Mothma say, you know, how big is the threat to Thrawn, and then you throw to Thrawn, that sets the audience up to like, oh, it's it's almost yeah. unspeakable. How, Give how it, bad yeah, exactly. Like, Give us like some un, some uh, unsettling music underneath him, and as he stares into the camera and glowers with his red eyes, would do would communicate the message, you know, very Darth Maul esque, where he's just kind of you know pacing back and forth in front of the red laser grids back in Phantom Menace. Like we get the idea just visually, but here it's just so flat. Well, I think also this goes back to my my general issue with Thrawn is he was a very new and exciting villain in 1990. But 30 (laughs) years later, we've had so many iterations of this character across medias, of this slow-speaking, calculating, you-never-quite-know-what's-going-on kind of of character. And so there's been a dilution of that kind of, of thing. And so I don't think that... Story-wise, Thrawn is giving the impact that he needs to give. I think in the fandom and the people who are are behind Thrawn and are big Thrawn fans and stuff, you know, are are making 
noise and shouting for their character. And, and I'm not trying to disrespect that in any way. But in terms of the execution in the story, I don't. I think it depends too much on people having uh, preconceived notions about who Thrawn yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And that's like this series was already targeted for people like me who are obsessed with Clone Wars and Rebels. And you were already leaving a huge swath of people behind. Like it's just the reality of this show. And, and, and I'm fine with them doing that in the same way that I'm fine with them making, you know, shows that aren't for me. Drew, you, you, you put it perfectly. Like not everything's got to be for everybody, but you do have to find that balance and make the people who are coming in fresh feel welcome there. And I don't know if with Thrawn that happens. Like with the light side characters, I feel like you can kind of accept, Hey, you know, I know the fours. Okay, cool. Jedi, I like Jedi, I can root for them. That's the simple part of it. But Thrawn is not, he's not an intimidating villain like Darth Vader that just walks on and takes over the screen. And so you need to build that character up more and build that thread up more. And I think more than anything else, that's probably where this series falls short Mm -hmm. is Thrawn does not feel like a legitimate threat. Yeah, like like as you're talking, I was immediately like thinking back to the introduction of Moff Gideon in season one of The Mandalorian. And like that scene does such a good job of like establishing him as like, oh, that like you don't want to cross this guy. Whether it's like the cold open of the scout troopers are like, oh, he just like killed three people for talking back to him or whatever. And then him standing there like rattling off while like, I know who you are, Din. I know who you are, Kara. Like, I know every single one of you and I know your backgrounds and I've got you pinned down and there's nowhere to go. Like that scene does such a good job of like giving him that menace and realizing just how formidable. And yeah, you're absolutely right, Brandon. Like there's something about Thrawn that like that the show – even when it, like, ends and, you know, I mean, we'll talk about this when we get to episode eight. Like, when, like, the literal worst case scenario has happened and Thrawn escapes, there's still a kind of flatness to it. Mm-hmm. You still don't feel like, oh, shoot, you know, the galaxy far, far away is now in a very, very bad place. Yeah, I tend to I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I mean, I, th- I thought he, he did it was a good portrayal of like the menace and the calculation. I just wish that there was more like a direct result of his actions led to the failures in certain ways. Like it seems like, you know, one of the things I did like about episode seven while we're still on that one is, um, the sequence in the asteroid belt, not asteroid belt, the graveyard rings that where he was able to track Ahsoka's ship kind of without having a lot of good information to go on. He's still able to kind of pinpoint, what was going on and take it take advantage of that that was really neat i also did like how the purgles were just like nope we we are out of here time to go like no good luck sticking around <laughs> yeah have fun with that one um that was pretty cool so i like that like that was pretty neat um but it just seemed like the the rest of the actions that he took against the heroes felt half-hearted mm-hmm. um not really intended to be successful more than they were intended to be i don't know what not even demonstrative of his authority or power but more it's just more like, just like eh. to delay them yeah exactly like he's like playing it very close to the vest and i'm not sure that really fits within the, that kind of a character if he 
is that concerned about what he calls the you know the the Padawan of Anakin Skywalker who won't negotiate or something he says something like that then why did you send just like two tie fighters and or two transport ships of stormtroopers who were just going to get mowed down out to the fields you know you've got to star destroyer use it and then when they does use it for some reason they when they're you know 50 stories above them they can't stop them with turbo laser batteries i just have it's just the the ability to suspend disbelief was uh stretched to its maximum upon that but i suppose that's episode eight we'll talk about that when we get there too yeah we'll we'll, we'll get there i think there is an, an interesting dichotomy that i noticed between ahsoka and thrawn in or, or really just the the good guys and Thrawn, our, our, our protagonist crew, if you will, is they always refer to Thrawn as the enemy and Thrawn refers to them as the opponent. And hmm. I think that gives an interesting look into the psyche of these characters that they're trying to to build and to show us, which is like Ahsoka and Sabine and Hera, they have a, a Hu, Hu Yang too, they have a belief in what they're fighting against, you know, and, and also what they're fighting for. You know, we referenced the last Jedi a couple times in, in that, in that aspect. Whereas for Thrawn, it's just moving pieces on a chessboard. Right. And so we can, we can understand fighting against an enemy. We've all had enemies of, of various levels in our life, you know, and so we can relate to that, <laughs> but with the opponent, it's kind of, it's kind of lifeless. It's kind of heartless. And so, I think that was the intention was to show that that he just looks at this as a game, right? But if it's if it's a chess game, like he's not sacrificing any of his major pieces, which I think would have enhanced his character a lot. If you had him more blatantly sacrifice one of uh, of the major villains, you know, like he allows no. Balin to go separately. He allows like he I mean, he does kind of do that in episode eight. Yeah. Kind of, but... I think it's pretty clear that he's ordering her to stay behind without just just without having to say it. It's like, you're going to make me order you to stay here. I will, but you get to pick. The illusion of choice. Yeah, see, I read it more as, uh, like, she believes in him, so he, he just knew she would do it anyways kind of thing. Not a hard line, no, you're, you're going to go die for me and you don't have a choice in, in the matter. I just w- would have liked it a little more of a slap across the face kind of feel. Not because I don't think the audiences can't get it, but I just feel like that kind of, it kind of splashes cold water on you and you're like, oh crap, like this guy is, hmm. he's ruthless. And like, we've had... A, a villain similar to Thrawn in Star Wars and it's Palpatine. Like we've seen the one that's always plotting behind the scenes and you never quite know what he's up to kind of character. And I just, I, I want something different than that. You know, like interesting. It just doesn't Thrawn. Thrawn has never worked for me. If you've listened to these episodes, yeah, that's books, a good point. Shows, you've never even been Rebels, on top. It, it's my least favorite part of Rebels is having Thrawn in that. So I'm, mm. I, I don't need to get up on that soapbox. But <laughs> I want to go back because we kind of skipped over um, the the Ahsoka training scene, um, which I just absolutely loved. That hologram of Anakin uh, training her. So we got more Anakin without having to have them actually interact again. And uh, just 
getting to see her say he was a good master made me think about our conversation earlier about like what was her lesson in the world between worlds we talked about that quite a bit and i think like this is the answer to that was her really finding peace and center in that and being able to fully take up her jedi roots again you know we get that training scene and it talks about using the forms to to find her center and did you guys read um Devore, you might have, Drew, I, I doubt you did, the Padawan book about Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yes. Drew, any chance? Um, is it, it just called Padawan? It's called Padawan, yeah. I'm looking at my bookshelf to see if I have it. I don't think that I do. It came out last year. Um, it, I don't it's, think so, because it's, it's not book. Master you and should, Apprentice, right? It's not no. Master and Apprentice. It's before that. It's a little bit it's of a younger that. version of Obi-Wan. Yeah. No, not on my uh, have-read list. Okay, so... I'm not going to spoil it, but a, an aspect of the resolution of the story has to do with him practicing his forms and that helping him find his center. I'm not okay. going to say anything beyond that, but it reminded me of this, of Ahsoka finding her center in the forms. And that's something that Anakin talked about is like, you should do these, at least do them more than I do kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, cause Anakin wasn't very centered and he knew what he <laughs> should do, but so to me, just I wanted to talk about that for a minute and get y'all's thoughts on that scene because it did make me think like, all right, this finally brings us to what that resolution actually was from the world between worlds. Hmm. I think I see more of that resolution occur in episode eight where... Yeah. I think it's an eight where she confronts Sabine about her decision to go with team bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, you know what? You know, Anakin stood by me. My master stood by me no matter what. So of course I'm going to stand by you. And I think that it kind of did clear up because her, her issue pre world of worlds encounter world between worlds encounter rather. Um, I thought was more about, she was afraid she was going to turn to the dark side, but really it turns out she was afraid Sabine was going to turn to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of an interesting thing to be what broke their bonds apart, I think. I think that's how I feel about it. I think I thought that was more interesting. Now that we have that kind of filled in, that kind of understanding, um, I kind of wish Ahsoka had explained that to her instead of just kind of cutting her loose and then never bringing it back up, the best we know. Even like in episode eight, it would have been nice to say, like, I had seen, you know, kind of like what Luke does with Ben in last Jedi, is like I looked into his mind and all I saw was darkness and destruction, that kind of thing. And then, but it really, it wasn't his fault. It was my failure for not trusting in him and for being weak and giving into my own fear. And she doesn't do that. She just says, Hey, I've got your back no matter what. It's like, okay, I feel like you should have had that already, but I understand that's kind of what broke that relationship apart. So it's nice to see that's kind of like that circle itself is now complete. Now she's got the confidence to know that you know she can train somebody and a fear of their failure isn't necessarily enough to warrant ending the training does that make sense no i think it absolutely does and i think it uh really shows and i like getting all these different kinds of star wars stories because we get stuff like this it really shows how one emotion can lead different people in so many directions. It's not this cut and dry, 
cause and effect thing. Like there are multiple strands going on. So you mentioned Luke, like his fear manifests in one way, you know, where he pulls that lightsaber and, and uh, that fleeting moment, you know, ruins everything. Yeah. Whereas for Ahsoka, it manifests in her walking away. Like when, when situations get tough, she disappears. That's kind of been her, her MO, um, is she just up and moves. And, and that Ronin reference later, when you think about that, becomes oh. a lot more uh, poignant. Eh, maybe. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, that's not really what that means, but okay. <laughs> it's, the sh- it's the Wikipedia version of it. Yeah, I don't want to be the well actually kind of guy, but actually, you know, whatever. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Devor, how did you feel about that? Do you feel like uh, it was a satisfying uh, conclusion to that that aspect? Yeah, like it, it was a it, it was a good scene in that way in terms of getting to see her like, yeah, like you know, going back to like a different side of Anakin, like him as a master before mm-hmm. before Vader. I, I I I do love the thought, just like the the comparison of like. You know, Ahsoka is there and she's got like, you know, she's going across the galaxy. She's like, she's traversing out and she has these like Jedi training videos on different forms. And she's got <laughs> Hu Yang and Luke is just with his like little androids like, I'm trying to build the Jedi. <laughs> like, how do I do it? Ahsoka's <laughs> like, got like the, like the treasure trove of knowledge. Yeah, sir. Yes. <laughs> with, the. the <sighs> I'm yeah. trying not to give away too much in eight, but like you've got the the primo Jedi instructor droid who's been doing it for literally thousands of years. Whoa, 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 whoa. tens Just kind of, of thousands of years. You, you can't get to tens without having ones. So, and, and he's just like, and Luke, poor Luke is like. I had about 30 minutes of training between the two guys that I met and died like I, instantly. I've already lost my first oh two my students. Yeah. They both left. Yeah, it hasn't gone great. Uh, and you're walking around with literally a, a, a college doctoral thesis of how to be a Jedi Knight with you. Can I borrow him for like an hour? Golly. Maybe Ben Solo wouldn't have turned out so bad if she had just left Hu Yang with Luke for a little bit got every lightsaber part just hanging out in this ship like where did that come from did he have time to pilfer the the uh the temple during order 66 he's like don't mind me i'm just a cleaning droid yeah that's it (laughs) pay no attention to my four lightsaber arms you know i could totally see that happening too oh my gosh um unbelievable there's definitely we're 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 reaching that point where <laughs> there are open questions. <laughs> there are a lot of open questions of how is Luke not involved? And and I I don't want to get too much into the conclusion now, but I think, you know, they're they're kind of uh to an extent resolving that. I don't know, to, maybe to I hope extent. not, because that would be very upsetting if that's like they're <laughs> just like all right, we're just gonna park it here for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think the uh, Sabine and Ahsoka are gonna be out there for a while. But then you also still going back to what I said on the the previous episodes. 
Now you have Ezra back there in the galaxy, and he has a connection to all this Jedi training and knows where this, these temples are and was trained by a Jedi who was trained in the Order mm-hmm. and trained by a council member. Like, it's the whole we have all of these Jedi around is really kind of becoming a lot. And that's as somebody who loves the Jedi and wants to see them on screen. Like I literally was sitting there going, man, how cool is it to see like these three different lightsaber colors all on screen at the same time? This is just very (laughs) satisfying. But also when you stop and think about it, it's like, so what the hell was Luke doing? (laughs) Like, did he like, they have all this technology and he can't find like a phone number and ask for some help. it's, It's so wild. It really is. It really is. Uh, speaking of, of wild things, um, we get the moment when Ahsoka reaches out to Sabine and Sabine can finally sense her. And we get that first kind of inclination that, uh, Sabine actually is going to be able to access the force. Uh, we've kind of had it set up the whole, the whole series and we get that, uh, this is what I call the the Luke moves the noodle moment, where it's just a little bit. Devor, you, uh, you understand that reference? I do. So, like three other people get what we're talking about because it's from a book. I haven't read it, but I remember somebody telling me the story, and I don't yes. remember why. Yeah, it was it was us earlier in this series of Ahsoka talking about it. Okay. Um, Sorry for the uninitiated. Heir to the Jedi, Luke practices his force abilities by trying to move a noodle and gets really excited when it moves like a centimeter. And that's kind of, I think, what we got with Sabine here. I, that It made me think of that. I really did like this setup of it's this connection between characters that's going to bring this out of Sabine. And it's that connection and relationship that allows her um, to access this part of herself uh, that she she hasn't seen before and she hasn't been able to fully uh, discover or be open to before. So I like kind of that setup considering the payoff that we got in episode eight. How did you guys feel about it? Tavor, do you want to tackle that one first? Yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're right in that way that it does, it, it, it sort of foreshadows that in some ways, like it's also kind of reminiscent in that way of, you know, Luke Lay on Empire, when he reaches out to her and she's mm-hmm. able to pick up on, on on his, you know, call for help. I mean, I do think it's interesting and probably not a coincidence at all that, like, she's able to, you know, make that connection here, Ahsoka, post-reunion with Ezra. So I think, like, that kind of resolution mm-hmm. and, like, finding him and knowing he's still okay, like, I think maybe that in some ways, like, that kind of represents maybe for her like a little bit of a like letting of the guard down or at least like that kind of, you know, the worry about are we going to find him? Is he still going to be alive? Is he going to make it like that's gone? And now she's maybe a little bit more open and a little bit more receptive. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree with that. He def- She definitely has a different temperament and is now a kind of open to other things now that kind of her singular focus has at least been fulfilled. Not that she ever thought about how to get home after this, but at least she's got to that kind of security to know that, okay, all is not lost. He's okay. And now we can figure out what happens next. Next. I'd be really interested to look back at the whole series. I wonder if Sabine ever really 
said she wanted to bring Ezra home because everything I can think of was her talking about finding Ezra. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a lot of finding and not a, not and that probably was specifically done. But I think so. isn't that kind of like also a dumb idea? Like why would you not want to bring him home or make sure he's safe or you know just rescue him? Why not even just say rescue but like to to find and make it very particular that that is that's the verb you want to complete is a finding would she have been like okay fine i'm going to turn around and go home now without him no but i think sabine's character is always kind of uh sought validation through accomplishment and she she does it when she's in the empire and she creates the duchess like she just thinks about the doing of the thing and not the effect of the thing That's and what's going to happen after. That's uh, true. She does the same thing with taking up the dark saber. She's like, fine, I'm going to take it up so that like I can do this and never really thinks about the weight of what that sword is going to mean for her to carry. Like she, she does in being afraid, but she doesn't really understand the weight of, Oh, if I take this up, I need to lead Mandalore, which is what part of the reason she gives it to Bo-Katan. And so, Mm. I think it fits in with the character of Sabine and that part of her part of her journey here is learning that she needs to be more calculated, uh, be more thoughtful. Like that's part of what Ahsoka is teaching her. And so it makes sense that, okay, the she goes with the bad guys because that's the next step. And, and she only thinks one step ahead because right. she only has one singular goal. And so when you're, when you're just trying to get to point B from point A, like all you see are the the steps to get there, you know, and you don't really think of, you know, the, the bridges that you burn getting there um, and how you're not going to be able to get back after that. And so I think it's kind of that situation where she was just so singularly focused on that, that she didn't think about the collateral damage, which is actually, you know, getting Ezra home. Yeah, I, I, I just some, sometimes wish these characters would as much talk as much as they talk at each other. I wish they would talk with each other sometimes and kind of explain things. Like for example, um, in seven, there's a moment where Ezra and Sabine are talking, and she said, and he says, you know, what's been new with you, like you do, and she says that Ahsoka started to train me, and he goes, really, why? And then she gives him a look and he goes, I mean, congratulations or something like that. And it's like, wait a minute. That's the very question we've been trying to answer is like, what is going on between the two of you? And they just skip over the most important conversation that these two characters have to have out loud. It's like, you've just got to talk about your feelings with each other for crying out loud. Although I suppose one of the things I did like about in, in that episode is when they they're facing I don't remember. Oh, it's like the the red cloaked Ronin samurai kind of guys, and then Shin shows up. Where the bandit Sabine off bandits. That's the word I was looking for. Sabine offers her him the lightsaber. He goes, No, no, no. I'm good. I'm good without it. It's like I don't need it. You know, the Force is my ally. You know, I don't need a lightsaber right now. It's like that's interesting. Like he's so confident, and rightfully so, in his growth as like a probably a, a solid Jedi Knight at this point. Like I was really impressed with how they did that with him for a character to say like, cause he, he wasn't always like that back in no, rebels. He was still no. like, um, very much blaster wielding, 
you know, lightsaber when he had it. Um, but to see him at this point, like, no, 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 now I, I know what it means to trust in the force and not just in the tools. Um, I thought that was a really interesting thing to do. Yeah, the force is his ally until he needs a blaster, and then he picks up a blaster, and, and he picks one up. Yeah, and then he does um, go. He does go and make his own lightsaber, like in thirty minutes later. But again, yeah, yeah. I understand why that had to be done. It was a good sequence, though, because it, it also should, it teaches us that Sabine has still got this not a good, healthy understanding of what a Jedi is and does and works for. But now she's got somebody who's actually demonstrating that for her. Like, no, 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 she can look to Ezra now, not just as as a friend or, you know, what we would have expected to be more than friends at this point, probably. Um, but as an example to say, okay, this is what it looks like to actually trust in the force. And I don't think she's had a good demonstration of what that looks like, meaning she's never going to learn it the proper way. And I think it was also a good element of Filoni doing, you know, the show, not tell. And he, one, he is showing exactly what you, you talked about there, but also he's showing Ezra trusting in Sabine and that initial interaction where he kind of goes, wait, what? And then he goes, okay, no, like I, I actually do believe in you and I gave it to you, gave that lightsaber to you because I believe in you and, and I still believe in you. Uh, I don't believe in you more than I believe in my own abilities. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated that aspect of it too. Like it, it was a good scene. And Ezra is one of the things in the series that really just was an absolute home run for me. I, I, I felt yeah. zero transition issues between the, what, 16, 17 year old uh, that he was when we, we last saw him and the, yeah. the 30 year old or however old he is um by the time we get to to this part in the series so it just yeah the whole thing worked really well for me yep i agree i was i was pleasantly surprised about how that was handled in these those last two episodes could could really make that character uh interesting to watch uh you know you didn't really know what he was gonna do He, he he had a tendency to surprise which was really uh fascinating it was really exciting to have as part of the team again so the last kind of major element of, of seven we need to talk about before we can get to eight is the stuff with Balin and Shin. Um, yeah. Okay. This is cool. where so, we're losing major points on this episode. Yeah. So we all kind of feel the same of like, um, what? Yeah. yeah. What in the world? I genuinely do not understand why they separated those two characters. And I don't think the characters understood why they were separating either. Yeah. He said, you know, Skull says something like, you know, my fate lies in a different path than yours. It's like, wh- why? <laughs> what what path would that be? What path is she going to be on? To me, it was like, oh, okay, he's getting ready to die. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, that's kind of that what, you know, Obi-Wan says to Luke on the Death yeah. Stars. You know, that's what we're setting up for. And then it doesn't happen in the yeah. fight. Like... And Shin later just goes on to lead. Yeah, what? Well, does she like join? She joins them, or I don't think it's like a leadership role. But no, because she doesn't strike me as somebody with the capabilities to lead a group of people. She can barely take care of herself. It seems like this poor. I know people out there love Shin. I don't think this show knows what to do with her at no, no. I think you have a powerhouse actress who absolutely crushed the role and they don't know what to do with her. 
I don't know both that both are true. Well, okay, I'll, I'll I'll give you that because the conclusion of it is still the same. This poor person has nothing to do in this entire show. She's got like Correct. a couple fight scenes, which is great, but she has no motivations. She has no arcs. She doesn't contribute anything to the team. I really don't know what they were using her for, except to have another dark side master and apprentice. Uh, I think they were using her purely to get Balin to say stuff. Because otherwise, I think that character would have just sat That's there a good point. and yeah. not said mm-hmm. anything. Like he, None of the stuff that points to his motivations comes from his conversations with Elizabeth or anybody else. It all comes from his conversations with Shin. And, you know... I know for for us on here, but also like across the fandom, like Balin is kind of the highlight of this show. And we've spent a long time going, what are his, you know, what is this thing he's referencing? And I don't think we get any of that unless we have Shin. Now, is that the best use of that character? Should the story have found another way to get him to talk about his uh, intentions? Probably, but I think <laughs> that's kind of what or, it is here. Or let her be involved in it. Right. Like, she yeah. is clearly not a part of any of his plan. Like, he has no connection to her because she doesn't understand what he's doing and he's not letting her in on anything. Yeah. Like, he speaks in these vague and cryptic terms of like power, more power than you could possibly imagine. It's like, well, we have seen planets explode. That's cool. And, you know, <laughs> So is that what we're talking about? And he talks, he has the whole soliloquy about, you know, breaking the cycle of, of war and peace and revolution and then war and more peace and more revolution. It's like, okay, but what are you talking about? Like, yeah. How, what, in what way would you like to accomplish that? And what can I do for you master from whom I clearly <laughs> depend on to live day to day? It's like, I don't know what she's supposed to be doing in this show. Other than like what you had said is serve as kind of a bouncing plate for exposition. I feel like that character was wasted. I was holding on going, you know, let's see how it pays off. Like I, I, with Filoni shows, I always, kind of wait till the end because like even the beginning of, of rebels, I was like, this is great. I love it. I'm having a great time. I'm glad to be back in star Wars. And, and I was really back in the fandom and experiencing, you know, a new show coming out for the first time. So I was having a good ride, but until we got the payoff in the end of season one, I, I, I still had a lot of questions and, and mm-hmm. stuff. And here, I mean, I'll, I'll say it openly. Like I was very disappointed in, in how they handled Shin and, and, I was even a little confused about Balin completely in episode seven because they split, right? Yeah. And we we have no real reason why, like we said. And then Balin's sitting there when Ahsoka arrives and he's like, well, now this is a surprise. I didn't expect to see you again. <laughs> it's like, well, then why were you what sitting you- there all stoically? Like, what were right? you just... What were you waiting for? What are you doing? Like, man, like with what we get at the end of eight, it's like, shouldn't you have already left by now? Like you're wasting time. Yeah. Like (sighs) it it, it was like, okay, I think Filoni knew he wanted another confrontation between the two, which I I don't necessarily think we um, needed. There's one aspect I, I think that we'll talk about in a second, but just in terms of Balin's character, 
I don't know that it, that fight did anything. I don't know. Really, yeah. I don't. Yeah. It, it, it was like, oh, well, we're both here and we're on opposite sides of the force, di- you know, aspect, uh, line, timeline thing. It's like, I guess we fight now. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, I'm going to maybe come back to this point when we talk about episode eight about the fight between Ahsoka and Morgan is that like. A crucial element to a light to any lightsaber duel that you know that elevates it above just like two people fighting each other with laser swords is like you have to have that interpersonal dynamic and that tension mm-hmm. that is leading them to fight. Otherwise, it, it is just two people swinging laser swords at each other, yeah. and like that, like that that fight there kind of suffers from that issue. Like you're you're missing that kind of like that pathos quality of like Mm -hmm. what is bringing these two to like collide with one another except for the fact that yeah like he just happened to be standing there for an inexplicably long period of time (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's very convenient i do think the intention of that fight and the the fight with morgan elsbeth is is showing us the rejuvenation in ahsoka because her fighting style is different uh, it feels different in these last two episodes than it did at the the beginning. Like she's using more power stances and stronger attack angles and stuff. And so I do think that one thing Filoni does very well is tell stories through the actual fight. Like it's definitely missing that, you know, pathos in it, like you were saying. But in terms of like watching it as a martial artist, you know, you you see the the storytelling through the actual fight itself. It yeah, was the same thing with uh, Shin and Sabine earlier in the season. Did a fantastic job. Uh, Ahsoka versus Merrick did a fantastic job. So I think in that aspect, that fight really works. But it comes back to: Did we need it? Does it make sense? And I don't know that it does, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that does kind of lead us into eight. And, and Devor, I'll throw it to you because you mentioned that fight between um, Morgan, Elizabeth, and Ahsoka. Even though it's later in the episode, like go ahead and share your thoughts now, and then we can circle back around to the the rest of the episode. Yeah. So I mean, you know, going back to your point about the choreography, it is a very well choreographed duel and the way that it is shot and like the way that they are fighting is definitely like very well done from from like that, like half of the element that you need for you know, the, the, the kind of two-part ingredients for a great lightsaber duel. I just do think that yeah, the thing that is missing there is the like dynamic between the two like the the kind of again that kind of interpersonal tension and even just for morgan it's like the episode starts and it starts with her getting this kind of initiation into the night sisters and you know she's given the blade of talzin and and all of that and it seemed like you know that you know, maybe something deeper was going to be happening in terms of her character as well that like we were going to get a little bit more of like you know something to her in terms of like building on her more than just like she's trying to get her master back into the galaxy you know so he can fulfill his evil plans and then like yeah her character doesn't really go beyond that and then she's killed so like she 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 also has not to the extent of you know the shin issues that we were just talking about but yeah she also has a little bit of the one dimensionality problem her character's kind of like that throughout much of this show though yeah like she feels very kind of like along. It's weird how many of these characters just feel like they're along for the ride. 
Yes. Um, and where there's not a lot of decisions made as a result of actions occurring. You know, there's some at the beginning of the map, the, the map hunting, which feels like they're actually having to struggle and make an effort to accomplish what they want to accomplish. But even then, Elspeth is hanging out on the bridge of, of the, the hyperdrive ring, not really contributing a lot when it gets going. I liked it in eight when, the, though, I thought it was neat she's inducted into the group. Yeah. You know, that was kind of cool. The, the the sword thing was like, oh, okay, so she's going to have a sword fight in the end. I wonder who yes. she's going to fight. Gee, yes. if, if only we could find out some kind of way. If only uh, there was somebody who had swords. If only there was a, a character who she, she's had this kind of vendetta with before. Um, And then when they kill her, it was like, I didn't think it was that, that terribly surprising because like somebody, I didn't feel like somebody was going to survive that fight, right? It was pretty clear yeah. that... She, you know, Elspeth as a character knew she was there to die because Thrawn was basically left. Hey, you remember those 30 stormtroopers who volunteered to be left behind? Guess who's going to be their their commanding field officer? (laughs) Yeah. So that was like, I understood that and she understood that. And it was interesting that the conversation ends with Thrawn saying, for the Empire. And he turns and leaves, but she says under her breath, for Dathomir. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, mm-hmm. okay, are we going to get like a little, you know, betrayal? Like, oh, you left me behind, but I wasn't ready to quit when you just took my my three sisters on board, which we'll talk about that in a minute. That's a decision. Um, so I thought there was going to be a little bit of like, she confronts Ahsoka and she says, wait, you know, I can get you. I have a secret ship stowed away in the closet or something that can track them down i don't know some way to like really turn it around but no she still goes and fights full force it's a little sad she gets this cool superpower up and then gets in- instantly fridged in there at the end of the episode it's kind of sad to see you want to know honestly the thing that made me realize like yeah she's probably gonna die is the the makeup job they did <laughs> after her transition to this I guess more of a night sister. Um, I'm not quite sure how the whole dynamic works. Like, does Mother Talzin outrank the great mothers? And does the, do the uh, yeah, I, the whole dynamic there is a little bit confusing. <laughs> you, you need an organizational flowchart? Yes, I yes. need a night sister's flowchart, please. Like, who, who right. is their direct report? Like, how <laughs> exactly. does this work? Like, <laughs> but do they like, have stand up meetings every morning at 7 30. <laughs> like, how are assignments distributed? Yeah. Do they all have of to that. use Outlook to communicate? No, they've got dream visions they can cast across the universes. I forgot. Sorry. Exactly, because Microsoft Teams sucks. Oh. Um, <laughs> correct. <laughs> but um yeah, the the makeup <laughs> job for her just felt half hearted. I, I really wish they had gone full like make her a a night sister in that like she kinda you know you know the great mothers kinda look zombie esque. I, I I just immediately when I saw I was like, okay, cool, they're gonna change her. She's gonna look like the rest of the Night Sisters. Uh, this is a a cool transition, maybe. And I started thinking about in my head, like, oh, maybe she's only like part Night Sister, and that's why she looks more uh, human. And now she's getting, you know, they're purging her of that human aspect of her and making her fully dark side and stuff like like i felt like there was a lot of potential to do something with her there and then it just kind of like ah now she's just got black eyes now (laughs) i was like okay all right cool cool. so she's definitely dying so um but that said like i do like what they did there like i like the 
one, I love, you know, bringing in the, the weird force stuff from Clone Wars and Rebels with the Night Sisters. Like, I just love that aspect of it being a part of the show. Um, mm. I do, I, I like the, the references of the Blade of Talzin. Um, and, and I honestly thought it was a good moment to see Thrawn standing there watching it. It looked like he had a level of respect for what was going on there. He, I think it's it's definitely like he's got this relationship with them that he definitely knows he would not be able to make it back without them. Like he he right probably stumbled into their dominion, you know, when they first jumped across galaxies, and they probably were the group responsible for him surviving as long as he did. And so I think that's kind of what we see towards the en- at the very end of the show. <clears throat> where they jump and they end at Dathomir. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, he is going like gung-ho into this mysticism, into this this you know voodoo-style approach to the Force, where I don't really think he ever took the Force very seriously um, in earlier entries. Now, I haven't read all the books that, you know, Brandon, you've had to suffer through, um, but I don't really feel like he had quite the deep appreciation that clearly now he does, especially since he's got somebody that can resurrect his army for him. You're, you're a hundred percent right there. Like he, okay. he appreciated that the force was something that helped the Jedi. Uh, but he still to an extent thought he could calculate for it. And I think now he's realizing he's realized that he can't. And and I like the way that it was set up where you have him watching this ceremony happen, right? And then the camera zooms in on him and you see those two TIE fighters flow away. Yeah. And it just very beautifully expressed how Thrawn has now found this balance between yes. employing this yeah. mysticism yeah. and the strength of the Empire. And that's, but that's that's his method of winning the war now. Is like it's a marriage between that supernatural and the mechanical world, which in in Star Wars past has always been why the Empire or why the bad guys were doomed to fail because of their technological reliance. They had cast off the the supernatural and the naturalistic worlds in favor of bigger guns, better shields. But it's always the Ewoks with their logs that come crashing down and take out the mighty Imperial machinery. So now as a perfect synthesis of those two aspects, he really is poised to be the one who can take the New Republic down. I mean, it's hard to imagine just half a beat up Chimera Star Destroyer is going to be the one to do it, but I don't know. Maybe he goes back out there and starts pulling Star Destroyers out of ice oceans again. We've seen that on <laughs> yeah. uh Well, he we do have the Shadow Council, you know, who are are bringing things together. That's right? true. That's I forgot an about that. We have to consider. I, I I do wonder if that hit as well for people who I almost said fans of Thrawn. Not a fan of Thrawn. Um, <laughs> But for people who don't have the the background, like, do they understand what the the story is saying there about his finding the balance between the two and how big of a threat that is? Because we saw how big of a threat he is without that. And so we, as people who have watched Rebels or have read the books or, you know, have, have a history with Thrawn and kind of know 
why he has in his various iterations fallen or not been as successful as he could have been mm. is because of that lack of balance. You know, even in the the one Thrawn entry that I consider good, which is the original like Thrawn novel in the new canon, should have been left at that. It would have been perfect. <laughs> um, he is not good at understanding politics, and that's his shortcoming, which is what Eli Vanto kind of does for him. He fills that gap. And so there's always he's he's always had these these gaps that get in his way and stop him yeah. from being super successful and it seems like here they're telling us he doesn't have those gaps anymore like he's spent the last what, 10 20 years however long it's been that he's been uh in this other galaxy figuring out how to find that balance between the mysticism and and the the power of the empire yeah, I would dare say that that message is not clearly enough communicated within the context of this series itself, because we don't have the moments where the Imperial War Machine is triumphant in order to demonstrate its sheer power. Like, you think of A New Hope. They blow up a planet. That's pretty bad. But then you've also got D Darth Vader in like a similar conversation saying, you know, the power to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Like, you have it literally laid out for you in that particular manner. Here, if you've done your homework and you've watched 11 seasons of cartoons, you have probably enough requisite knowledge to make that kind of connection between the visual and the subtext. But absent that... I don't know that there's enough meat on that plate for somebody to put the, in fact, I, I, I dare say like a couple of the reviews that I went out and looked at, uh, make that exact point. I have a quote pulled from the verge who said, and the, the author there said toward the end, meaning, um, episode eight, it also relied heavily on viewers already knowing details from past shows like clone wars and rebels. As someone who hasn't seen those animated series, I still don't really understand what exactly makes Thrawn a threat other than his piercing gaze and ability to inspire seemingly every, every bad guy into giving their life for him. Uh, drew editor note, um, when you can bring people back from the dead, it ain't such a bad deal back to the review. And despite the name, there was surprisingly little development for Ahsoka herself in the series. Instead, Ahsoka, the show works better. Listen to this. I didn't write this. It works better in terms of aesthetics and tone than it does with story. End of review. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> Vaguely rings a bell. Vague is the word of the day. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, there are, there are other, what else do we have in episode eight that happened down? Oh, oh, well, oh, oh, hold can on, I, can, hold on, hold on, hold oh, on. Oh, I'm not, because, okay, I thought you were ready to move on as much as you didn't like Thrawn. No, 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 I, 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 I do want to move on. Thrawn. Yes, I don't know if I've mentioned that. I do want to move <laughs> on, but I want to disagree with what that uh, writer wrote of there's little development for Ahsoka, because I think episode eight shows that development for Ahsoka, like, in seven, we see her joking and laughing around. In eight, we see her, you know, talking about how she is not going to leave Sabine. She even admits she was wrong when she, when uh, Sabine is saying, you know, maybe I shouldn't have come. She says, we, she essentially says, like, if you had chosen differently, like, we might not be here. We might not have been able to find Ezra. And that was the right call to make, even though it could have gone in a lot of different directions. And that's a hindsight 2020 thing, but... It, it shows that transition for Ahsoka. So I, I, I push back against that idea that there's been no development for Ahsoka. I, yeah, I would bump up against that particular element of it to say that there's, you know, the author here in question just says surprisingly little development. And that's kind of like, I, we've talked about kind of tracking 
her on screen from the first episode all the way up to here. It doesn't happen until like that episode six, seven moment where it really shifts over. So we haven't gotten to talk about that entirely just yet because we had all kind of hoped like after the um, Shadow Warrior episode when she goes back and meets Anakin that um, we kind of expected that to be the major turning point. And it really was, but maybe it just didn't manifest itself super great until we get to episode seven and eight. Yeah, like... she's Is she in episode six? I don't remember. Isn't six the one she's barely in? Yeah. Far, far yeah. away? Yeah. What happened? Oh, that was the one... Sabine, Sabine. That's going, right. They, yeah. She actually lands on the planet and wanders out and finds us. Right, 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 right. So we, we talked about that scene where, you know, they're talking on top of the ship. And I definitely think that, like, kind of is your thesis statement on what the relationship between Ahsoka and Sabine has really been leading to in this entire series. But something that stood out to me was that moment after Sabine uh, crashes the ship and Sabine's walking mm-hmm. up kind of like she she's ready to argue with Ahsoka. Like she's very, you, her body is yeah. tense. Her voice is very tense. And she goes, got him. And uh, <laughs> like, I thought that old, was cute. I know it was great. Old Ahsoka would have been upset with Sabine and been like, that was the wrong call. Like she would have criticized her. And now she has this faith in her again and faith in herself. And she just is going with the flow. Like she's not looking at what the wrongs that everything is going to do. She sees the possibility in, in what things are going to be. And we see that again at the end of the episode when uh, she talks about she, you know, Ezra's where he's supposed to be. And so are we. During that sequence, though, Brandon, like there is the, like, like you were talking about Balin's line about like it was basically like, oh, I didn't expect to see you here. Then what were you doing hanging around? Um, I can't remember which character it is. It says basically like that's going to slow us down about the down Jedi fighter. I think that's Hu Yang. <laughs> it's Hu Yang. Yeah. Is it Hu Yang? It was yeah. like, well, really, you guys were flying over the little nomads who are going pretty slow to begin with. So it really didn't slow you down that much then. And yeah. then they get to pop on these wolves and ride away. It's like, okay. So you're I actually going quicker doing. now. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Episode eight directed by Rick Fumiyawa though. So um, I was happy about that. Yeah, Man can yeah. make an action episode. He can make action oh, happen. Th- that okay. was the next thing I was going to bring up. Like the action pieces of this episode. Stuff happens. Oh my God. <laughs> so good. It appealed to the 12 uh, year old in me. Solidly. Did you guys, uh, talking about the fights, I was immediately thinking about the, the zombie troopers, which one, we kind of got <laughs> confirmation of zombie troopers. You know, we had kind of debated whether it was actually like, zombie troopers in the last uh last time mm-hmm. we talked about whether there was going to be that payoff and when we got them kind of reanimated from you know the night sister magic i was like okay cool so we are getting it in that way but then we got those uh i don't know if they're i'm saying dark troopers because <laughs> you know they have the darker armor but no they're the death troopers Death troopers, like the Rogue they, yeah. One type death, death troopers, yes, yes, but also yeah. the Legends type death troopers. But also, in that they're zombies. <laughs> did they have Beskar armor? Did you guys get that? Like the sound to me sounded like what yeah. like happens when Din fights and somebody hits him. So I've only watched that fight one time, 
So you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a moment, I believe, where one of the helmets gets smashed open a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it looks like you can see a desiccated yes. head in there. Yes, you 100% can. So that's kind of like the impression that I got. Like, it's it's a corpse, like a mummified corpse that's piloting this yeah. this armor. Could, so it's not like the stormtroopers who were alive and had to be reanimated. These guys were already dead from years past. And so when when she hits him with the blaster it just it burns a hole in him but it doesn't do anything yeah like similarly i think there's ezra when he's fighting the one like stabs the guy through the chest and then i just like throws him yeah yeah which i you know i thought that was that was kind of neat the only only thing like again dumb lines that just kind of throw away writing that somebody didn't talk to somebody else they should have done a one more pass they they're they're moving all the coffins out of the temple and um Elsbeth says the cargo transfer is complete while they are clearly still loading them into the Star Destroyer. You're like, that's like the guy who says like, oh yeah, I'm 10 minutes away when he's not in the car yet. Like, come on, just look around. I know you're in the volume and there aren't real things to look at, but can somebody just talk to some? Anyway, I thought the zombie troopers were fun. Like that's the kind of nonsense Star Wars thing that is actually kind of okay. And I don't know why I'm okay with that, but so not okay with other things. Feels a little contradictory, but we'll see. So so do you guys think their armor was made of Beskar though? Uh, I I don't think we had I don't think there's reason to think that. Really? Okay. See, because like the sound to me sounded like when Din is fighting, uh, specifically when he's using the, the Beskar spear. Like it sounded like that same clinging sound, so I, I wasn't. Were sure you hearing were. the like? Uh, were you hearing Elspeth's sword? Is that what you're? It could. Well, were was were those fights happening at the same time? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah. Because well, Sabine is trying to take out the the Death Troopers. Yeah. While Ahsoka and Morgan are kind of going at it. Okay, maybe that's that's. I wonder I'm if there's kind of an overlap in like the sound in the sound. For you. Yeah. 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 So we do then finally get that payoff we talked about earlier with Sabine finally being able to use the force when he's, she's fighting those troopers. So satisfied, not satisfied? Like, do you feel like that was a... I mean, we kind of knew that reveal was coming. They kind of hit us over the head with it. So it's not a surprise <laughs> that in the end... No, like, it would have been... Not an ounce of surprise. <laughs> it would have been terrible writing to just, like, set all that up and go... And she can't use the force still. <laughs> it like just like the worst practical joke ever. Uh, but in terms of how it was pulled off there, I found it very uh, fulfilling because we had the line earlier in the the series where Sabine essentially said like I was hoping our situation would like make this thing hurry up and help me figure it out. And then it's like literally a life or death situation in which she really figures it out. So I feel like that was a good payoff. How did how did you guys uh, feel about it? In, in in a motif for this show, it kind of fell flat for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like because it just take I think, a drink. Yeah, it it just kind of happens so quick. Which like she gets the saber, she like does the head kill, and then we cut to like. I think maybe back to the Morgan Ahsoka duel or like we cut away, like there's very little lingering on it and we just kind of like, Oh, it happened. She used it. And then we move forward. So like, it didn't like pack the punch 
of like, I mean, th this is admittedly like, like we should not be like, you know, th this is a very high bar for anything to me, but like it was no Ray catching the lightsaber, right? Like it didn't have that kind of moment oh. like, oh, oh wow, like, like th this, this moment and like she's done and she's accessed and here is this, you know, the hero is now on a different path and they've now kind of taken a step towards like embracing their destiny. Like it didn't have that kind of like dramatic effect that that scene has. Like it was much kind of, quicker and more almost like utilitarian like i gotta kill this guy <laughs> would you say it was faster more intense <laughs> um yeah I, I i tend to agree now that you've kind of put it that particular way it's like the, the first the first moment she's given the opportunity to do it is opening the 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 gate on the fortress and we don't really know for sure whether or not she's contributed um and then there's the lightsaber grabbing, but really the, the show had to do all that work very quickly to get to the point where she has to throw Ezra back onto the star, yeah. star destroyer. So it would have been nice if we had been, if I think kind of like what you're saying, divorce, like the way to sell it would have been something like she does it for the first time and recognizes it and like takes a moment to be like shocked and excited about it, that it worked because we don't even know if she knew what she was doing. But suddenly, by the time they get to the top of the tower, she's confident enough in her abilities to throw Ezra, you know, up and out, which is, you know, it's fine. It, you know, they don't have a necessary problem with it. I think that's kind of what needed to happen. It's kind of the plot armor argument. It's like, you know, how strong are, is this character really? It's like, well, it's as strong as the narrative needs them to be in the moment. And I think that's okay. So I, I, I was okay with it. Maybe stylistically we would have chosen something different, but, you know, no one's knocking on our doors to come make Star Wars movies for them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, if, for me, like, it worked. I, I get, you know, it, it did happen all kind of quick. It was very bang, bang, bang. I think, again, like, when we look at, you know, Andor, for example, being able to be 12 episodes long, I think that is a sweet spot they need to figure out is these things need to be 10 to 12 episodes long because we could have uh, not had to pack so much action-heavy stuff in this one episode to bring us to a conclusion because we've got, you know, still a lot of setup that we have to do. We have all these characters changing. We're still establishing relationships. And then also we have to bring it to a conclusion oh yeah also it's star wars so we've got to have a huge action ending it's a doing a lot mm. so when you compare it like you know devore you you said this but when you compare it to ray it's nowhere even in the same conversation as that but knowing that we were going to get it ahead of time i like how it was utilized you know it showed sabine you know, finally accessing it because of, you know, what she was hoping was going to help her at the beginning. But then also, I think the relationship with Ezra, the reestablished relationship with Ahsoka, all of that stuff bolsters her. And I, you know, we, we talked in episode one and two about how, like, this could go in some very bad directions if it's not yeah. handled very carefully. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, now just anybody has access to the force. All they got to do is just believe in themselves. And <laughs> that's a little bit of a stretch for what we've gotten in other canon stories. But I do feel like here, you know, Sabine's greatest struggle has been maintaining relationships and maintaining healthy relationships. Uh, she's always kind of kept people at arm's distance. And here, she realizes multiple things. One, you know, 
being, you know, not to hold people so far away to let people in, but then also to not have that brashness to not rush into things. And this moment for me kind of did all of that because she sees herself dying. She knows Ahsoka's in trouble. She knows Ezra's in trouble. Like she has to do something or she's going to lose all these people that matter to her. And she does do that. And then to, it would have been, to me, it would have been very easy to like have her go, Whoa, I can't believe this happened. And she's still, she's in kind of in shock in the rest of the episode, but in a very, uh, trials of the dark saber kind of moment like she goes through this experience and she's sabine is not somebody who feels small feelings like when she feels she feels a lot and she in trials of the dark saber she really hits that emotional high uh and it, it impacts her and changes her and the sabine we see after that is like immediately different and i think it's the same here where this moment impacts her and immediately we just see her confidence skyrocket like she's not saying when, when she's telling ezra th to believe in her and that she believes in herself she's not pep talking herself like she's literally telling him like no i got this like we're doing yeah. this there's yeah. no questioning in her voice and i really appreciated that let me look at most of my list of what happened in this episode. Well, we got Morai. Love that. Morai of Scion? No, the owl. The owl? Yes! The owl that follows Ahsoka that represents Mortis. Okay. Did I blink and miss it? Probably. It, it, it's honestly. possible because it was very quick. So Okay. What? I'm confused. <laughs> and I thought I couldn't get more confused already in the show. <laughs> there is an owl that follows Ahsoka around. It's at the end of... So you remember in uh, the end of season seven of Rebels when Vader's holding the lightsaber? You with me on that scene? You know. Hang on. No. Rebels only had four seasons. I'm sorry. Clone Wars. Okay. Let me shift gears. Clone Wars. Season seven. This is the one that was only on the app, not yes. on. It was never aired. Okay. And in the end, he Vader's in the snow. In the snow, picks up Ahsoka's lightsaber. There's a bird flying over his head. That's more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it symbolizes what again? It is representative of the daughter from Mortis. Okay. Whose life force is within Ahsoka because she gave her life to? Oh no! Get... Oh, is that what those statues are supposed to be? At the yes. End? Wait, what? Oh, well, you're world. just no realizing way. this? Holy yeah! Heck. Well, well, in an in an episode called "The Jedi, the Witch, and the Warlord," which is clearly a lion, the witch, and the wardrobe reference and connection, was written by C.S. Lewis, who was best best friends with who? J.R.R. Tolkien who has an equally, I would say, much more important and famous uh, scene setting of giant statues guarding the land of Gondor, the Argonoth. Does anybody remember yes. the Argonoth? Okay, great. At least, Brandon, there's these books called The Lord of the Listen, Rings. Listen, I watched the movies. You, you remember jerk. that? Remember that first one where, like, Aragorn's like, Frodo, wake up, look at these big giant statues of cool guys. You remember that? Yeah. That's what this scene reminded me of. Oh, yeah, it's it's absolutely meant to invoke that. Then what does it got to do with Mortis? Because the statues are, he is standing on the statue of the father, and then the, the son is to the father's left. 
and the the body of the daughter appears to be on his right hand side it looks like the head has eroded off uh, in some way which of course like the daughter the son kind of kills the daughter isn't that how, yeah um kind of kills or like you're not sure if that's what happens he doesn't mean she's to. mostly he dead he doesn't murder her but he does she does jump in front of his blade to protect Anakin, so are we thinking that this planet is Mortis? I thought Mortis was a no. real planet. No, I, 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 we, it's unclear. It's As with so many clear. things in the show, it is would unclear. You, would you say it's vague and unsatisfying? Uh-huh. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It blinked and, and did not put those things together. Well, I guess Lindsay was really excited about that moment. How did she not mention that in our conversation? Oh, we talked about it. Don't you worry. did? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, we not in our chat, but Lindsay and I talked about it. Oh, oh, you uh, got a side chat without me. Got it, got it, got it. Well, I mean, probably. Let's we hadn't officially <laughs> like opened up to spoilers in the in the group chat yet. So I would Oh, okay, okay. I could only contain myself so much. I couldn't go on X and talk about it or whatever like that <laughs> it's called now. <laughs> whatever letter of the alphabet it is. Um, getting saucy in here. Okay, so, so yeah, Mortis. So Mortis. Um, so Balin is standing on the. He's standing on like the palm of the statue, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. And so, what do we think that means, Brandon? This. Well, here's the thing. So i I have had a theory for a long time that Mortis and the world between worlds are connected, if not one in the same, if not like it, Mortis being a manifestation of the world between worlds, I think is a very real possibility Uh, because the, the thing that they see uh, in uh, clone wars, when they go to Mortis is it's not a planet like shape. It's like a, it's not a cube, but it's, it's not a planet. It's not spherical, not spherical. Thank you. And then it's not on any star charts. There's no recollection of them going anywhere. <laughs> like physically, they haven't left anywhere. They just wake up. So I think there's a lot of potential of retconning, I guess. I don't know if it technically Ooh, is a word I want to use. But Mortis being the world between worlds. And so if Balin is looking for this greater power... Um, it would make sense that he would go looking for the Mortis gods, you know, because they would be more powerful than, than anything that's come before. And I mean, I don't know if they do have this power, but I could see him believing that they have this power to restart time and restart the galaxy or something of that nature. When you look at how he's pointing, it, <laughs> there's a very small... <laughs> I hate you, Bill. No, 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 no. Go on. I'm listening. I promise. <laughs> Tell me about how he's pointing. The statue of the father is pointing <laughs> out to the mountains, and there's a sliver of light that I think is possibly an access point to Mortis in the same way that the uh, the wall in Lothal was an access point to the world between worlds. So I... I think that's where we're going to be going when we get season two uh, is we're going to get live action Mortis in some way, shape or form. I don't know how they're going to handle the Balin situation, but yeah, that's a big question a mark. Big, isn't it? big question yeah. mark. But I really, after, after all fault. the, the setup at the end of this episode with 
uh, Thrawn going to Dathomir with the reference to Mortis that kind of, it gives us uh, Balin's motivation for the, the whole time. You know, Mortis is, is considered uh, fairy tales by the Jedi. It's, it's lore and legend. It's not something that they believe to be real anymore. Uh, all of that starts to make sense, but then you go, okay, but it, it also opens, it satisfyingly concludes like what was his motivation, but it also opens up a new aspect of like, okay, what's his motivation going forward now? Like, what does he want to do with Mortis? What does he think is they're going to be able to accomplish? So I feel like in this moment, I feel like Ray in Last Jedi where she asked Luke, what is the force? And he goes on this little <laughs> spiel and he, and she goes, but what is it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of where, where, where I'm sitting in right now, but what does it mean? <laughs> so, and, 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 and I, the, the story is responding to you in Maz Kanata fashion. A good question for another time. For another time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's Dave Filoni. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I just can't handle the marvelization of the Star Wars universe in this method of setups and setups and setups and small hints at what's to come and just wait till the next thing and just wait till the next thing. And we never get to anywhere anymore. Like, you had eight episodes. Why hide something like that at the end? I just want Thrawn to come in and be like, bad guys. Like, it's... Okay. I don't know. I, I'm going to have to wrestle with that for a moment because zombies is like perhaps a bridge too far for the Star Wars universe. You know what I mean? Like it's not a thing that exists in live action and it's going to be hard to accept that. But now you're talking about interdimensional uh, opportunities at time restarts and I, I don't know, bro. I'm just kind of like, all right, are you sure this is the way? Like, well, hold on. Oh, There's a help differentiation. Me out. Help me out. There's a differentiation between time restarts and someone believing they could restart time. There's a difference there. Do you and, really think like that's legitimately what he's like? Balin is attempting to do is reset the fabric of reality. Do I legitimately think of that right now? It's okay. The, L- hang on. Let me let me rephrase that question. Does Balin think that is his actual goal? My answer is still the same. It's going to be right now. It's the answer that makes the m- most and the quickest sense. Whether that is actually the right answer, I think we we won't know until we get more of this story. Which, Ugh, to be completely yeah. honest. I am worried about with the loss of Ray Stevenson. I am yeah. worried about yeah. how they're going to handle that. So, yeah, because like we lost Cara Dune's actress, and that has had rippling effects. I yes. think through the subsequent shows, in kind of a, in wrenches of throwing into plans. And I think that they had a powerhouse actor who, I mean, he was in his sixties, but he he wasn't an old sixty. Like he yeah. was very oh, Tom, vibrant and alive. Tom Cruise is sixty one. Yeah, like this, this is not somebody that they would have expected to lose, right? It's not like right. yeah, yeah. You, you're bringing right. an older person in to, to do that. So you've got a lot, and, and and he killed the role. So you've got huge shoes to fill mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. 
So how that's that, going to happen going forward is yeah, we're we're, we're into Carrie Fisher, Leia Organa, right uh, issues. Oh, definitely. So yeah, yeah, that, that's the that's whole, the exact parallel. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. So Lee, that's tough. It, it's really tough, and so I do wonder what they're going to do. But I definitely think we're getting a season two and possibly beyond because originally there was a tweet by uh, it was either Star Wars or Disney Plus. I can't remember which one, but they uh, the tweet was you know look forward to the series finale of Ahsoka, and they deleted it and reposted the same thing, and it said season finale. Oh, really? And, yeah. And on the banner uh, on Disney Plus, it says season finale. And so when you look at the Obi-Wan series, the Obi-Wan series has been listed, and I think it's on IMDb. Um, it calls it a limited series, whereas Ahsoka it calls it a scripted series. So all signs oh, weird. point towards there being more Ahsoka. Now, we had the writer well, strike. We had no official <laughs> yeah. announcement. We have all of these things. So... When that's going to happen, I don't know. But a lot of well, my excitement at the end goes to we're going to get more of this story, and I'm excited to see where it goes. What are the projects we know are coming next, though? We know that the... Well, okay. Well, I put no in quotation marks because, as we have said previously, nothing's real until you can buy a ticket for it. Um, we know that the Acolyte is should be next, right? Skeleton and, Crew. Skeleton crew. Assuming it's a real show. Yes, go on. Again, assuming these are real things. These are projects that haven't yet been publicly canceled. How about that? Um, And there are three movies. One way prehistoric Jedi. One post-sequel trilogy. And Dave Filoni's Heir to the Empire. Which we think is actually called Heir to the Empire, I think. I don't actually think. Which is supposed, allegedly, is the culmination of these shows. Yes. And so my question is this, how are they going to do that if we're going to be banking on a second year of Ahsoka? So here's, here's my answer, and I, I'm going to preface this with saying this is an answer I don't like. I don't think they know. <laughs> I think there's a reason it, there hasn't been an announcement on when these series are ending or, and or when the day no, Andor's got to another out. year or two. We already know about Andor. But Andor's not going to be a part of that. No, I don't think there's going to. No, I don't think so. So we're we're talking Skeleton Crew, Ahsoka, Mandalorian, maybe toss a book of Boba Fett in there. I don't know how much of a role that's nah. going to play. Uh, I would love to see those characters. Like ha- having Black Chrysanthemum on screen would be pretty, you know, fun on a big screen. But with there being no official announcement of it, and let's be honest, the cash cow of Mandalorian still running pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I like there's still every year, like when I meet new teachers and stuff, they assume I'm a baby Yoda fan before they assume I'm a Star Wars fan. Cause you put something up Mandalorian and people assume you're into Star Wars because of Mandalorian. Like, it oh, has, wow. Interesting. It has that pulling power. Um, but, and I think that they are being, there's kind of this guerrilla marketing thing going on with it right now. Um, with going on whole, with what? With this whole Mandoverse kind of thing. Oh, oh where okay. They're just keeping Baby Yoda out there to continually keep people talking about the Mandalorian. And they dropped an Ahsoka skin in Fortnite. So you have kids all the time talking about Ahsoka in Fortnite, which is going to, you know, <sighs> lead them to the show. It, it's crazy, but like you, you have no idea. The day after they dropped that, 
I had five or six of my students go, oh, she's in Fortnite. Like that was yeah. their, their reference yeah. to Ahsoka. So I think they're... Kids in they Fortnite. <laughs> no. But I think that there's this guerrilla marketing thing going on where they're just keeping it in the zeitgeist. And then they're going to see how long they can ride this wave. And when the when it starts to crest, they're going to hit us with, and in two years, you're going to get this movie or whatever. I don't know if I like that answer, but I think that's where it's headed. I mean, it sounds reasonable. It wouldn't, it, you know, it doesn't stand contradictory to any information that we have today. So there's no reason to be like, you're wrong. Yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's just like, this is a lot that... And, and man, it's gonna be just weird because none of that seems to have to to do with Thrawn, though. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Thrawn is pitched as the big bad, and then suddenly Balin goes wandering off into the desert for his encounter with something. It's like I just we're we're really stretching to the point of breaking like the, the involvement here. Our friend from Michelle from Unknown Regions Pod brought this up to me that maybe Thrawn isn't the actual big bad in this movie. Um, that maybe this greater threat that Balin has been talking about is what they're going to lead to, which I think could make sense because we had uh, Moff Gideon as kind of our chapter one villain, our book one villain for Mandalorian, right? You have this setup with Thrawn, which I think could be our part two villain. And then we get this big, greater galactic threat that whether Thrawn is already gone or Thrawn then bows down to or something, we get this giant, you know, force threat of some sort that we wouldn't have expected uh, to be kind of our movie villain. And I think you could do that, especially having brought in this other galaxy, because you can have the war happen over there. So you kind of have a loophole of, you know, it it didn't happen in the galaxy far, far away. It happened in the galaxy far, farther away or not so far away. (laughs) We're not quite sure. Uh, But I think that that's a possibility that could happen. But again, like this is all speculation Uh, and and, Mm. and. as excited as I am about all of this stuff, like there is a lot of apprehension to it too. So, okay. Yeah. 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 Rightfully so, so. All right. So I think that kind of is a good place to kind of wrap up. We talked about the future. We talked about, about these episodes. And so it is time to, we're going to re-rate. And I think DeVore, you mentioned to us earlier about doing our ratings of the season overall. So, uh, Let's just go around first and talk about the re-ratings for this episode, and then we'll do another round of of rating for the uh, season as a whole. So, Drew, once again, I'm going to start with you. Give us your <laughs> updated ratings and why they are in the negatives. Because well, I feel like <laughs> you found about those mortis statues is now in negative two. Oh. Yeah, He's yeah like, how do I how do I take points away from you guys' scores? Um, <laughs> Brandon, you're going to go down because you should just not be able to know all this stuff. Um, I'll I'll move episode seven up to two and three quarters. How about that? Okay. 2.5 to okay. 0.75 because, you know, the beginning of the character changes, I think, is interesting and good. And that's really where we start to see it go um, for Ahsoka and Sabine and kind of the repairing of that relationship. Even though there are things in that episode, I'd be like, no, please don't do it that way. There's better ways. Um, boy, episode eight. I don't like that stuff about weird owls. 
Um, I should have like, just let you blink and miss it. I, I know. I feel like I am, one. you know, burdened with this knowledge now in, in, in <laughs> negative ways. What does Bendu say? Once you know something, it, can't it cannot be, be unknown. unknown. It can't be unknown. Yeah. Oh no. Um, I gotta drop into a two. I won't make it a one. Okay. We we will reserve that honor for the fourth episode of this show. <laughs> okay. I will honestly. I'll take it. I'll Woof. take it. Man. I think that's the first time we've gotten you to raise your score on one of these. I, I think that's it's the first time I've altered a score at the end of a conversation, honestly. It could be. It could be. All right, DeVore, what have you got? All right, well, for the first time in doing this, I will alter a score, Ooh. and I will move episode seven up to a three and a half. <laughs> I, I, I think our, our, our conversation convinced me of some of the virtues of what that episode is doing. Nice, but, nice. But I will keep the season finale still at my three and a half. Brandon, I'm gonna keep uh, Dreams and Madness at a four. Again, I, I think the stuff you guys mentioned uh, really does hit well. Um, I think there is a, a ton of great setup going on in that episode. Also, freaking Kevin Kiner just—we we didn't mention him. He's crushed this whole thing, but especially in in episode seven, the music stood out. So, okay. four out of five there. Uh, you had four and a half for Jedi Witch Wardrobe. Yeah, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I'm moving. <laughs> what, did, did I not say it right? No, um, you nailed it. You got it in one. Okay, okay, okay. This is the Chronicles uh, of Narnia podcast, so. I think I'm going to have to drop it to a four. Wow. Here's why. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't like any of it Text any less life. than. <laughs> I don't Check like any of it. on Brandon. <laughs> I don't like any of it less than I liked it before, but I I think it's a fair rating because a lot of what I love this episode for is the setup. So I think if mm. we revisit this after we get confirmation that we're getting more of Ahsoka, I think my score would go back up to a four and a half. But then also if we get no future of Ahsoka then and these threads don't get paid off if we just go well ray stevenson's lost so we're not going to pick up this balin thread we're just going to let people think <laughs> that's that's pretty pretty damning that would be amazing episode. or they're gonna they're gonna relegate it to like a book or a comic series or something god. like that as much as i love the books please god no i do I want know. a balin shin prequel book i i would love that give some more actual development to shin but that's another 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 story for another yep, time. Yep, I'm with you on that. I think for the, the season overall, we should give us ourselves a 10, a, a, a 1 to 10 rating, because it gives us oh, a little more okay. room. Um, so I'll go ahead and start, uh, because surprising nobody, I'm going with a 9.5 out of 10. This, it, like I said before, this show was everything I wanted it to be, plus some. Um, there's... There's not a lot it left me wondering that I started the series wondering or wanting that I started the series wanting. Now, I want new things. I have new questions. But <laughs> uh, for me, that's something exciting. I know not everybody feels the same way. But for me, that's really exciting. So I'm going with a 9 out of, nine out of 10. Uh, DeVore, let's go to you next. What do you rate the season overall? All right. What I rate the season overall out of 10 is I will give it a 7. Okay. Um, and passing score. Yeah. Passing score. Um, you know, I like each of the episodes I was, you know, very, you know, very degrees of entertained by, by what we got. 
as I will talk about more when we do our best and buts, and we've already like, touched on some of them like towards the latter end of our conversation in this episode. Like, I do think that there are there are structural issues that I have with this show and then like also that reflect kind of issues that I have with the Mandoverse more broadly and like those bigger things are the things that are pulling it down for me. Uh, Drew, three out of 10, two out of 10. Where are you at? Here's the thing. Oh, th- this always starts well when Drew says, here's the thing. <laughs> so, your Brandon, your average, if we take all the ratings of each episode individually and average them together, yours is 4.25. Okay. Devor, yours is 3.75. And if we, and mine for the record is 2.2188. <laughs> um. If we adjust those from a five-point scale to a ten-point scale, Brandon, yours should be an eight-point-five. You gave it a nine-point-five. Uh, Devor, yours should have been a seven-point-five. You gave it a seven, right? So yeah. you're right on the spot there. Brandon's got a little, you know, eyes and uh, stars in his eyes kind of thing going on here at the moment. If I were to do that, mine should be a four-point-four-three-seven-six to get super specific. As one four, does. four, yeah, I know. That, I mean, on par. Um, four sounds reasonable to me. Um, this is not one I'm gonna go back and revisit. Unfortunately, um, again, like we started, we kind of started off. This one just isn't for me. It's not hitting any of the buttons that I need hit in order to be uh, gonna be something I go back and rewatch. There's nobody riding rancors. There's no rocket wrists kind of things so i think i'm just gonna go with a four overall but that three is tempting but i feel like we might not be friends if i I may not be invited on for a whole lot more episodes after this one um so we'll stick with four and i hope you guys can forgive me i think that's i mean we kind of hit the whole range of not liking the show thinking the show is okay and then you know me obviously loving the show so I mean, but, I but you like it for you like it for sensible reasons. Like it makes sense why these kind of things hit for you. And it's not just simply like you love everything Ahsoka is going to be in, and anything her right. name is attached to, you're going to have, and it's going to be the best experience in your entire life. You know, it's, it's not that foolishness. You know, there's still like I appreciate your critical analysis and being able to be like, okay, this thing right here, this is dumb. <laughs> well, and vice versa. Like, like I can see the critiques that the two of you have of the show and you know, the things that, that do and don't work for you. Like I, even though the, you know, there are the ones that I disagree with your interpretation of it, like you've got it backed up with practical reasons and stuff. So it's like, I think it's a completely like all three of our, our takes on this are completely fair and valid. Like, I don't think your four is, you know, malicious in any way, shape or form. Like, (laughs) You know, I, I really do genuinely like appreciate that we have these different perspectives on it because, again, like Star Wars needs to have these different things. It's the same thing I say with the the books. Like, I want books that I don't like because yeah. that means they're trying and doing different things. Like Drew, you drastically like Book of Boba Fett more than most people. Uh, yes, that's it's what this show didn't have. It's called fun, <laughs> and that's fantastic. Like. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, Star Wars feeds us in so many different ways. And so it's really exciting to see that it's continuing to do that. And Devor, what's been your favorite show so far out of these, do you think? 
of the live mm-hmm. action shows. Yeah, I don't know that we've ta- we've talked about this just yet. <sighs> My favorite. I mean, do we know what your fa- like your your movie ranking order is yet? Have we? I'm sure we've had that conversation, but maybe. Yeah, I, or I think maybe Brandon and I have had that conversation. I, I don't remember. I okay. mean, I think I would say if I could tease it out in terms of like the things that I've had like the best time enjoying, I think it would be like the first two seasons of Mando. Okay, yeah. Three, I'd have to spin off and rank a little lower because <laughs> uh, I have a bunch of problems with Mando season three. So yeah. I, I would say that. And then follow, I mean, I think the, if I go like, you know, the best versus favorite distinction, I think the best is Andor. Okay. But my favorite would probably be those first two seasons of Mando. That seems reasonable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Not entirely unexpected. You know, we didn't talk about Anakin showing up at the very last scene at all in episode Freaking eight. Great. Okay. Sorry. 10 out of 10. Oh, jeez. I got to go change all these numbers. (laughs) (sighs) So, all right, guys. Well, that is going to bring us to a conclusion tonight. And uh, we'll be back. We'll have our our best in butts where we look at the season as a whole. Um, And uh, and we hope you'll you'll join us for that adventure. And uh, if you want to hang out with us in the meantime and follow everything that we're doing, you can follow all of our socials uh, at Clashing Sabers. And like I mentioned, uh, join our Patreon. So, Devor, if they want to keep up with you and everything you've got going on, let us uh, let them know where it's at. All right, you can follow me on X at a larger view pod. <laughs> this is a child-friendly like <laughs> show. We don't promote X products. No, I'm just kidding. And <laughs> you can also listen to Space Swifties, a Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast that I co-host with my wife, the one and only Meg Dowell. And Drew, for you, where can people find you best? You don't have to call me Andrew. It's just Drew. It's fine. Um, I'm on the Facebook group Star Wars Clashing Sabers, just kind of enjoying the folks that we have there. Um, And that's the best place to get a hold of me. And uh, if you've listened before or you're on that Facebook group, then you know really what would have brought Drew's score up to 11 out of 10 for Ahsoka would have been if they got to Peridia and they found the remnants of Batch 8. Hi-ho. Hi-ho. <laughs> Just patch eight, but zombies. Yes, zombie patch eight. 10 out of 10 would would have uh, lifted the numbers. See? Not going to yeah. lie. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?